Welcome to the official podcast of Harvest Bible Chapel Indy West. Our desire is to make authentic disciples of Christ who worship Him, walk with Him, and work for Him. You can find more information about Harvest by visiting our website at www.harvestindywest.org or by downloading our app from your app store. We pray today's podcast will encourage your pursuit of Jesus Christ. Well, good Sunday after Easter weekend. And open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 20, your copy of God's Word to Matthew chapter 20. And as you are turning there, just a big shout out to you and to the Lord for uh, just what took place last weekend, and also for you, that uh, we, the weekend before we had talked about being a people that are Psalm 42 people panting after the Lord and coming with that, and uh, thank you for coming with that, thank you for serving with that uh, through all four services last weekend, and uh, uh, it was a good weekend, <laughs> it was a good weekend. Well, speaking of last weekend, we uh, went through three verses in Matthew chapter 20, verses 17, 18, and 19. Uh, Today, we've got 26 verses. Uh, We're going to tell of three events that take place. Uh, All of them are in the process of as Jesus and the disciples and the crowds draw near into Jerusalem. This is really important to understand this. Uh, Geography so far through the book of Matthew, I've made almost zero uh, really conversation about as far as where are things that are, that are happening. But now with moving into Jerusalem, the geography matters. Uh, it is all headed there. And uh, he knew exactly what was going to take place there as well. And so it's all moving there. We'll be seeing all this. The rest of the book of Matthew is really taking place in Jerusalem. So you have what is maybe 25% of the book is about the last week of the life of Christ uh, in Jerusalem. So its location is really important. Let's just pick up from last Sunday, last Saturday evening. Let's pick up, I'll read verses 17, 18, and 19, and then we'll get started into our text because they do flow. Verse 17, and as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside, and on the way he said to them, see, or or behold, or or guys, pay attention, or guys, just know this fact. Uh, We are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and he will be raised on which day? The third day. I mean, what an amazing, amazing statement. Uh, Jesus is letting them know we are going into Jerusalem. We're going there. And when we go there, there are some things that are going to happen to me there. They're going to condemn me. They're going to mock me. They're going to flog me. They're going to crucify me. And, and as, as actually some hope in all that, three days later I will rise from the dead. All of that's taking place in Jerusalem where we're headed right now. And so they are headed there. And, and it's interesting. What would you think would be the next kind of thing that would take place in the narrative, in the text, after Jesus says that. I would think the next thing that would be taking place would be like finding out that the disciples are concerned. <laughs> like like they, they would ask, like, um, can we pray for you for a moment? Or, or maybe the kind of thing where it's like, um, wait a second here. 
can you explain that a little bit more? And they interact with him about trying to find out why he's saying this and where this is going. But actually, it's like we have this juxtaposition of what Jesus just said, and now all of a sudden, it's something that's completely different. And almost not expected, but I'll say this, it makes sense. Follow with me, okay? What we have next is a throne request. I'm calling it a throne request. So Jesus just said he's gonna go and he's gonna be condemned and mocked and beaten and killed and rise from the dead. And the next thing we have is a throne request. And let me just say this. This is so you and me. This is so you and me. I'm sorry to say that, but get a load of this. Here we go. Verse 20. Then... The mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to Jesus with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, what do you want? Okay, let's stop there, a couple things. Number one, I think it's really interesting that Matthew does not put the name of the mom and does not put the name of the two sons. There's the sons of Zebedee. The Gospel of Mark does tell us who they are. This is James and John. Understand this. These are two of the disciples. We say that again here. These are two of the disciples. These are not just some Joe Blows, okay? These are not just some average people that randomly came up. Understand, this is James and John, two of the disciples and their mom. I'm gonna say this. I can, as we read through this, before we all go Rambo on the mom, I think she is sweet as can possibly be. And this is so my mom. I could so see my mom doing this. Okay, so let, let's work this. Number one, it's a mom and her sons. Uh, also with it, uh, she comes up and she doesn't come up in a brash way. She doesn't come up like in a mad way. She doesn't come up in a demanding way. She comes up and she kneels before him and basically says, I have something to ask of you. I actually think this is a really sweet woman and, and she is approaching Jesus in a very humble way here. Uh, let's keep reading. Uh, and he said to her, what do you want? And she said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. <laughs> this is so my mom. Now, again, before we all go harsh on her, um, I could see any loving mom doing this with their kids. Moms, would you agree? I mean, really, you're kind of like, no, it's kind of like, I don't want to get trashed after I say that and, and with what she's saying. But actually, I'm going to come to her defense here in just a, a minute on this, okay? Because I actually don't think she's really the one that set this up. I think it's the boys, and I'll show you why. So now you can answer a little bit more. <laughs> Moms, do you understand? Okay, now you feel a little bit better about it. Um, I can totally see a mom doing this who loves her kids but something I want to point out that I think is really special of this lady, her faith. Why do I say that? Because she is approaching Jesus in this. And clearly she's come to understand either on her own and hearing Jesus, but certainly from her two sons. Because her two sons are, they're disciples, Okay, they're, they're one of the 12. They're not just average people. So clearly she's been learning things from her boys. And in this, she makes this statement of faith. Listen, she understands that Jesus is actually going to set up and establish a kingdom and he is gonna sit on the throne. 
I will tell you this, you look through the scriptures, you don't see up to this point many individuals who are thinking that about Jesus. They are just curious about him, they're wondering about him, they think he's maybe off his rocker or something with it all, or they're irritated by him, but where do we find men and women in scripture who literally are approaching him with the idea that they actually think that he is going to establish a kingdom and sit on the center throne? I gotta tell you, there's something in this woman that I really, really like. Not only would I want her as my mom, (laughs) but in it we see something here. She has a faith that Jesus is in fact going to establish a kingdom and she wants her two boys who are in the 12 to be in on it on the platform. Okay, let's keep working this. Bless her heart. Verse 22, and Jesus answered, uh, you do not know what you are asking. Now hold on here, because I actually don't think she's, he's directly talking to the mom. I'll clarify that. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? And look at this. They said to him, we are able. Now, uh, oftentimes, uh, you've heard me say grammar matter, and words matter. And one of the things here in the English is, is the word you. The word you can be talking to an individual, but the word you can be talking to you, Correct? There's the plural aspect of it. And it's very important to understand that when this is being recorded, this is not in the singular, which it very well could have been. And if it was in the singular, it was very clear that Jesus would be responding to the mom who asked the question. But Jesus is not speaking in the singular. All three times the word you, Y-O-U, is in the plural. So he is either speaking to all three of them or a couple of them. Now then when he says, they said to him, you are thinking that maybe the three replied to him. Okay, let's go with that. And they say, we are able. But there's a part of that that doesn't make sense because why is the mom answering this? In fact, let's keep on going with this. We are able. And he said to them, you will drink my cup. Let's pause there. This is where I think what's going on here is Matthew and the grammar of it is trying to help us understand that the mom with her two boys comes up and when we hear this, we think mom comes up and and she's kind of the Hollywood mom, the stage mom kind of thing and she wants her two boys front and center. But with the way Jesus is responding to this in the grammar, I actually think that what's going on is when Jesus replies, he's not replying to the three of them, he's replying to the two boys. And in that, when Jesus then says, are you able to drink my cup? And they, we say that they will. And he says, you will. I don't think he's talking to the mom. I actually think it's very clear that he is talking to the two disciples. Mom asks the question, he responds to the two. Mom is asking the questions, odds are, as a result of having a loving mom's heart, but also as the result of having two boys who have prideful hearts, like the rest of us. May I remind you, we're not talking about just average, normal people. We're talking about two boys who are two of the disciples of Jesus. We are talking about two ministry leaders 
who are in this, we don't know how it all took place. We don't know the conversation. So I'm, I, I realize I'm working with the grammar, but I think the movement of the text is, is somewhere in the, after the conversation Jesus had with the 12 that he's gonna be mocked and he's gonna be beaten and he's gonna be flogged and he's gonna be killed and he's gonna rise from the dead. Shortly thereafter, not days after, but I mean like that day most likely, he's having a conversation with his mom. They grabbed a hold of the one tune that says he's gonna rise from the dead. They're connecting it to the whole uh, uh, setup of kingdom and then they're talking with their mom about this and mom and the boys come in and they want front seats man this is what we often do with Jesus we end up making Jesus all about ourselves and what we're gonna get and what the premier items we can get from Jesus as opposed to being so um, stunned by so awed by, so in worship of, so thankful for Jesus that we become completely enamorated with Jesus and what he has done and who he is and the living fact that we can actually have a living relationship with him. Actually, I don't even care what I get. I just want that. You see? This is so us. And yet the question comes in is so oftentimes is, so, okay, so what's Jesus gonna give me? Well, I've got a list of things to tell you. Jesus can give you eternal life secured. As many as receive him, to them he give the right to become children of God. And you can know for sure that you will have relationship with him, eternity with him, and he promises that. Oh, and God promises the Spirit of God to be doing a securing work and a sealing work in us. Oh, and we could go on and on and on about all that the Lord and the Godhead does and provides through the work of Christ on the cross, but I want to tell us this. We sometimes get so enamored by all the bells and the whistles and the what we get that we forget about the who. And the admiration of who he is. And oh my word, I get to be called a child of God. Are you kidding me? I just want to be in the room with him. I just want to be in the door. The seat thing, who cares? But we go there, don't we? Oh, we do. And people who sit in the front rows, you are blessed. Just want for you to know that. (laughs) And all of you, I wish you'd have the premier seats. (laughs) Have a little fun with it, but there is something stunning about this. Jesus just told them that he's gonna be beaten and mocked and flogged and killed, and they're already off thinking about how all this is gonna be good for them and how they can hurry up and give a call in and get the premier front seats up on the throne before everybody else does. Oh, isn't that you and me? And he said to them, you will drink my cup. Oh, by the way, in the scriptures, Acts 12, 2, James is beheaded. Revelation chapter one, the apostle John is exiled because of the word of Christ. 
they will experience part of the cup. This cup carries this idea of, it's an Old Testament concept carrying in. It's what I will drink. It's what's been given to me. It's kind of, if you want to kind of use it in a modern day kind of cool word, it's what is my destiny. And Christ has just told us what his destiny is. And he replies to the two guys saying, oh, I have a destiny for you. And by the way, that destiny for you will be somewhat like mine, but mine is a unique cup from yours, and you will suffer. Oh, by the way, you will suffer for me. By the way, how about having like an altar call after that? In a world where we present the gospel as come and get God candy and everything that you want, and sometimes we present it like, if you come to know Christ, you'll have wealth and prosperity and happiness and you'll never have a trouble again. And then a the person in Christ realizes that as they are walking with Christ, life is hard. And in fact, we are mocked for being followers of Christ. And Christ hasn't come to give us candy. Christ has come to give us relationship with him. And in it, how about this? Hey, all who are willing and desiring to have a relationship with the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who died and paid the price for your sin, rose from the dead, confirming victory to life everlasting is available. And he provides it for you, knowing this, that you, in receiving him, will have a destiny delivered unto you, and it very well could include suffering and martyrdom and hardship. Come to Jesus. Listen, I don't want to be the Dougie Downer dude. But I do want to tell you, we've got something going on in our world called the prosperity gospel that is not the gospel. Come and get Jesus and he'll give you everything you want. Friends, that is not biblical at all. And Jesus would be and is offended by that fact. You will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and my left hand is not mine to grant, but it is for those whom it has been prepared by my Father. I have to say this. This is just such a sweet and a kind reply. (laughs) I'm telling you, if I was Jesus, I would have fried him right there. I got a cup for you. (laughs) Verse 24 And when the ten heard it, that means the other disciples. Are you feeling tension? When the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. Yeah, that's what pride does. Pride ruins unity. Pride fosters disunity. It does in our families. It does in our relationships. It does in our churches whether that's by those who attend and serve and are part of the church family, or whether that's even by pastoral leadership, ministry leadership. Pride brings brokenness and disunity. And that's what happened here. So here we have these two throne seekers, (laughs) and the others learn about it. And probably two responses, honestly, just going on. There's some sanctified imagination in this right at this moment. But there's probably two responses that are going on in the heart of the other 10. Number one, some of them are thinking, oh, I didn't think of that. <laughs> you beat me to the ticket master gate. The others, probably all 10 of them are like, are you kidding me, man? Like, 
I thought we were a team. Clearly, you're out for yourself. Like, you want a platform seat, and you just want us sitting in the room. Yeah. Throne seekers bring disunity. We've been seeing that happening in ministry ever since the beginning. Let's keep reading, verse 25. But Jesus called them, said to them, you know that the rulers and the Gentiles lorded over them. Jesus is kind of now helping them to understand. Listen, guys, and by the way, it's interesting that Jesus brings leadership into the picture. He's talking to the 12. It's kind of like, you know that the rulers, you know that the leaders of the Gentiles lord it over people, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It, It shall not be so among you. Let me just say that again to me and to all of us. It shall not be so among you. It's not to be that way. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. That means not throne seekers, but servant givers. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He's bringing it all the way back to what he said in verses 18 and 19. Hey guys, have you forgotten? Like, like, look at the Son of Man, look at the Messiah, look at the Son of God, and I am going in, and did you not hear? I am going in to be condemned and flogged and murdered, and, and guys, do, did, did you not get any of that? You just want the icing off the cake. He brings it all the way back, and I think it's a word we all need to hear because friends, loved ones, we are... We are prideful people. We are pride-filled people. We're to be servant givers, not self-exhorters. By the way, thank you worship team and choir being such servant givers last weekend. Thank you, security team and tech team, for being such servant givers. Thank you, parking lot greeters and door greeters and lobby greeters and coffee greeters. Thank you to the decorators and the painters, the designers and the confetti cleaners. (laughs) Thank you, kids ministry helpers kids ministry teachers and kids ministry check-in greeters. Thank you. Thank you, ushers and snack providers and prayer warriors. Thank you. Thank you for giving. Servant givers, not throne sitters. So what would be really nice to follow that How about a good way to reply? So here we go, watch this. A mercy cry. Instead of a throne request, how about a mercy cry? Verse 29. And as they went out of Jericho, a great crowd followed him. And behold, there were two blind men, not mice, men, sitting by the roadside. And when they they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Remember, there's a crowd, so bear with me here. Lord, 
Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. Quite a statement right there, by the way. Number of facts we don't have the time to go into, but just real quickly. Lord, have mercy. That's saying something. Son of David, that's an Old Testament title that they've probably heard others talking about, that he is the one who is to come. He is the promised Messiah. There's a lot of theology in their statement right there. Verse 31, and the crowd rebuked them. That is so oftentimes the truth. The, 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 the proud have a way of uh, shutting down the outsiders. The insiders have a way of shutting down the outsiders. So sad. The crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent, but they weren't going to have anything to do with it. So they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And stopping, Jesus called them and said, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Lord, we want to sit on your right and your left. They could have. Isn't it interesting how this flows? Jesus has said what he said in verses 17, 18, and 19, and then you have this, the disciples, the disciples, the insiders, they want right and left seats. They want premier seating. And then here you come across these two blind guys who everybody's telling just, would you please be quiet? You're embarrassing us. Like you're a nothing. You shouldn't be shouting. He's for insiders, not for you low life. How sad is this? What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. <laughs> Isn't it interesting? <clears throat> I think if you were to, excuse me, if you were just to read that initially, you would kind of look at that and go, wow, that is a big request. Like make someone who's blind see. But if you follow the movement of it, after the whole throne seeking thing, it kind of seems like not a big request. It's like, no, I don't want to sit on your right or left. No, no, that's too good for me. Really, all I want to do, I just want to, Lord, would you let us see? Like, that's all. No big deal. We just want to be able to see. I love that. It's so real. If I can say it in contrast to what just took place, it's almost so humble. That's all. We just want to see. We just want our eyes open. And Jesus in pity, I'm reading the standard version, it carries the word in Jesus uh, with compassion. That's the same word that's been used a number of times throughout Matthew so far. By the way, compassion, we oftentimes, it's so sad, it's kind of like love nowadays. We just think love is a feeling, but in compassion or pity is a feeling that we feel like you drive by and you go, oh, I feel. But uh, biblically, it's not, it's an action. Love is an action, and compassion is an action. So Jesus doesn't just feel pity for them, but no, it's right with what he did. And Jesus, in compassion, he touched their eyes. And immediately, okay, I got, yeah, okay, thank you, thank you, thank you. I had in my nose, I'm gonna stop. Okay, if you're new here, some years ago we went through the Gospel of Mark, and the Gospel of Mark, <laughs> many of you are smiling, you know, the Gospel of Mark has like a bunch of times the word immediately in it. And so I kind of, to help us grab a hold of that, uh, Mark is emphasizing like, bam, it happens. We did that as a church. Every time we came across the word immediately, everybody responded, Okay, so we're gonna do that again because I thought that was just so fun and it's so fun even that you, even a couple of you are like, I gotta say it, I gotta say it. So, so buckle up because this isn't the only time in the text. And Jesus in pity touched their eyes and immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. And I do mean like bam. 
It wasn't like, whoa, whoa, I'm, it's blurry, but I'm seeing light. It's like, give me a couple hours, and it'll all start coming. No, 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 none of that. It was like, and they could see, 2020. And not only that, but they followed him. I don't think that here, we don't know, but it could just mean that they started coming along with, that means, by the way, what's gonna happen next, they were probably there. That's a cool thought. And by the way, I think this carries the idea that, listen, after this took place, they saw him as exactly who he said he was, the Messiah. And they followed him. Well, let's finish with the third event here. We go from a throne request to a mercy cry. Let's finish with a donkey ride. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, again, remember, we are now not a ways away like the other events. We're not moving, just moving toward. We are like right there, right there. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, go into the village in front of you, get ready, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. How does he know that? Again, like last Sunday, I asked that question multiple times. How did he know that? And we just read by this, we're so familiar with it that that familiarity just breeds apathy. That familiarity has this way of carrying on this uh, lack of admiration for what's actually happened. May I ask us to stop and consider what's going on? Seriously, how did he know that a donkey and a colt tied with her would be there? And then he says, untie them, bring them to me. And if anyone says to you, uh, how does he know someone might say to you? Well, that's why humans work. Okay, but that's fine. You shall say, the Lord knows needs them and he will send them at once. How does he know that's going to happen? Telling you friends there's so much cool stuff going on sometimes we just pass over. How did he know that? Because of who he is. Verse 4, this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. Matthew always loves to bring it back to the Old Testament and help the reader understand this is not just some random guy doing some random events, but this is something that is fitting within God's redemptive movement of history and uh, spoken to by the prophet, Zechariah 9.9, probably also Isaiah 62.11 is part of what's going on here, uh, saying, say to the daughter of Zion, by the way, the daughter of Zion means to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, how fitting is that? They're coming in, they're, they're, they're about to walk into Jerusalem, and he's pulling it back, saying, hey, in the Old Testament, it said, say to the daughters of Jerusalem, behold, your king is coming to you, humble, and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Uh, I think it's saying the them is the cloaks. He sat on the cloaks, put on the donkey. Uh, very possibly it could have been a donkey with the mother. It's, it was an unridden, never ridden on donkey, and with the mother along to calm and to come along. Just some sweet picture going on here. Verse eight, most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Some comments before we finish. Uh, it's 
Monday before Passover. We're in the uh, last week of Christ. And he's going, entering into Jerusalem, just as scriptures had said, just as the Godhead had, had planned out since the very beginning. He's entering Jerusalem, the, the, the amazing thing of the sight of it all, with the temple all there, he's coming into it. Imagery is crazy. In fact, speaking of imagery, I want for us to, if I can, just for a moment here, expand the imagery before we talk anymore about ground level. Can you just imagine what might be going on in the heavens during all this? Like, imagine the angelic beings. Imagine the angelic beings on their clouds, however that is, can you imagine that on their clouds, just like looking over and seeing what's going on? And they knew what the Old Testament was. I don't know exactly, did they know everything to it? Were they putting it all together? But certainly they knew enough in all of this to be able to sit there and go, this is it, this is it. I'm telling you, this is the week. We've been waiting a long time for this week. And here, the angelic beings are beholding this. I just, there's a part of me that just goes, I just wonder if the father is just also just like scooching up a little bit in excitement on his, on his throne seat. He's like, yeah, this is it, man. And can you imagine the spirit of God just down and hovering around and moving around and doing a work that only the spirit of God can. And then the son of God is walking in. And all this out there, if we had glasses that we could put on to see all this. Friends, this is not just another day. All of these events that are about to take place are pinnacle points in the work of God's redemptive work. Oh, and by the way, in that, could you just imagine maybe what Satan and his beastie boys are doing. Wondering what to do, oh man, oh man. Uh. Maybe they're down like working with the uh, Pharisees and the scribes and encouraging them to get more and more ticked. The whole situation. And then let's bring it to ground level. Um, uh, you've heard me make mention, I think during this time there are very possibly, I agree with Warren Wearsby, I, that there's very possibly about two million people now in and around Jerusalem at this time. Uh, some, things, it, some think it's much, much lower, but just work with me here for a second because we're gonna see that the whole town, the whole area is worked up about this. Whatever number you grab a hold of, let's just say 10% of the people are in on this event as they're coming in, and trust me, that's probably way low. With everything that's been taking place, this Passover is unlike any Passover in the last hundreds of years of Passovers in Israel. And he's coming in, and let's, if that's the case, let's just say that there's some 250,000 people. That would be a very low conservative view than most anybody could get on in Jerusalem at the time. And if that's the case, that means there's some 25,000 people if it's 10%, whatever the figure is, just trying to get some picture of this. Some 25,000 people involved on the triumphal entry. That's more people that can fit into Banker's Life Fieldhouse. And if it was a two million people, and it's 10% of that is like, uh, 200,000 people. There are tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people shouting, Hosanna, which means save now. Save now to the Messiah, 
Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Save now, one of the highest. What an event. Did they know what they were saying? Verse 10, and when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? Isn't that interesting? All the people are asking, who is this? That is a great question. I actually think the the forming of this carries this idea that not only is this just the people inside the walls, but I think it's kind of this idea that everyone's involved, even those people who are shouting Hosanna are still asking these questions, who is this? And look at kind of the common, if you were to take a poll reply, and the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. That's interesting. Because friends, if Jesus was just a prophet, then he would be like in the line of Moses and Elijah and John the Baptist. He would be another guy that came that the father used in grand ways. He would just be another human. But that's the wrong answer. He's, if he was just another prophet, friends, then he's just another prophet. And if he's just another prophet, then that means that he's a sinner as well. Who is this? In my teaching, I I like to try and kind of finish where the text finishes. So I'm going to finish the way the text finishes today. I'm not going to today necessarily say, here's the answer to that question. I want to leave the question hanging on your mind. Who is this? Who is this Jesus? Because, friend, that is the most important question. Because if he is just another prophet, that means one thing. If he is just like some really awesome guru uh, uh, from the past, then that means something. If, if he is like some political upriser, uh, then that means something. But, but wait a second, but wait a second. Who is this? And actually, the one that really should answer that is the one who that they're asking it about. So I wonder who he says that he is. And, and here's the answer to that. We're going to find out. But I want to leave the question hanging on you. Families, I want to encourage you to talk about it and not just even provide the simple Sunday school answer. Uh, Who is this? And if that's who he is, what does that then mean? If, If what you say is who he is, what does that matter in what you do and to how you think and how you handle this afternoon? And who he is, how does that carry implications for your week this week? Who is he? I want to leave that just hanging today. Who is he? Lastly, I want to remind you of this. From last weekend. Through all of this, he knew. Through all of this, he knew and they knew. What do I mean by that? 
He had just told them in verses 17 and 18 that when he comes into Jerusalem, that he is going to be condemned and mocked and flogged and crucified. How did he know that? But he knew that. And he knew he was going to rise from the dead. And so what is going on in, in, in Jesus' mind through this whole donkey walk? How is he processing what's going on? The, the very possibility of, as I understand who he is, um, want you to hang with it, but at the same time, he's the Colossians 1, one who created everything, including everyone, and if that's the case, if he's going in and he's hearing all of them shouting Hosanna, and yet he knows where they're at with him in it all, how does he handle that? When they are likely shouting it from a prideful, self-centered position of, oh, come, take over, take the Romans out, and let's set up a kingdom. And he's like, no, I'm going to come in your walls, and you're going to condemn me, and you're going to flog me, and you're going to crucify me. Right over there is where you're going to do it, in fact. Oh, and then you're going to hang me on the cross that is right over there. But I do know this, I'm going to rise from the dead out of the tomb that is right over there. Can you imagine that walk-in? The mercy and the grace that is going on in this walk is stunning. Oh, by the way, and then lastly, the disciples. What are they thinking? Because he had just told them that inside the walls I'm going to be mocked and flogged and condemned and crucified. And they're like, I don't know. Probably like you and me. Squirrels. Taking in the moment thinking this is maybe it. I don't know. I want you to think. All right? Who is this? Lord, thank you so much for the time in your word and the time together, and uh, we just hold your name high. And and, and God, I just really pray, I want us to walk away from this today just awed and and, and thinking and just wondering and beholding and, and pulling in this aspect of seeing these events taking place and, and, and with the knowledge that we have the benefit of being able to be put on our laps. And, and yet even those who are along shouting Hosanna, they don't even know the rest of the story. And, and we know more information than they do and it's good for us just to pause and to consider what's going on. And Lord, who are you? We sometimes get so familiar with answering that question that we forget to sit and be awed and amazed by it. Of who you are. Because this was not some random event. This is not just some sweet story of history. (laughs) This is the awesome reality of your plan for redemptive history bearing itself out on a donkey headed to death in our place. Wow. That's amazing. May we stay awed. In Christ's name.